Our Heavenly Father, we ask you once again to be with us as we focus our thoughts now on your word. This portion of the scriptures, as we have read in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 and on, the story of a rich young ruler. How does that apply to me today, O God? Let us ask ourselves that question and let you answer it to us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. What must I do to be saved? It's the million-dollar question, right? Well, Jesus was walking, and he stopped in a place. And I can imagine that the Bible doesn't say exactly where he stopped, but he would stop. Maybe he stopped under a tree where there was shade, because it was a hot day, maybe in the area where he was at. And he decided to stop. All of a sudden, a group of kids show up. And they come with their parents and their mothers all excited. Oh, I want my kids to be blessed by the master. And they're all getting excited and they're getting closer and the disciples can hear the noise. And they're getting all nervous, just like some members may get nervous when they hear a bunch of kids making noise in church. And they're starting to get a little antsy and they say, I, don't, I hope they're not coming in this direction. I hope they're not thinking that they're going to come and talk to the master. He's too tired. He doesn't have time for kids. And so as the kids get closer and closer, and then they say, oh, they are coming here. And then right away, shh, where do you think you're going? You can't come over here. I'm sorry. This is holy ground. You can't touch this area. And so they thought that they were doing a good deed. They thought they were actually protecting Jesus. But Jesus says, hey, let them come unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so the laughter and the joy of the children filled, I, I can imagine, filled the heart of Jesus. As they would get on his lap and they would hug him, maybe they were tugging at his beard. I can imagine one kid sitting on one leg and another kid sitting on the other leg and they're both on his lap and the both kids are playing with each other and laughing and playing with Jesus. The mothers were there all proud and happy that, you know, the master had taken time to be with the little ones. The disciples who had tried to prevent the whole scenario, um, well, they... they to avoid bugging Jesus, they thought, they were learning a big lesson that day. That children are as important in God's kingdom as everybody else. How many believe that? The disciples who had tried to stop them saying, you know, you're not as important as those people that he needs to heal. Jesus taught them a lesson that day. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that if you want to enter, to the, enter the kingdom, you have to be like one of these children to be able to go in. And Jesus hugged them and blessed them. The disciples were being taught by the master on how to treat children. Not by giving them a lecture or a sermon, but by practicing it. The why and the how. So around Jesus were his disciples, and try to picture it. There's Jesus sitting maybe on a big rock under a tree, and he has all the children immediately around him. Around him are maybe the parents, and around the parents are the disciples, and in the vicinity are more people just looking at what's going on. There's Jesus, and he's playing with the kids. Nobody knew that Jesus was preaching that day. 
But he didn't stand behind a pulpit, and, he, and the microphone was off. There was even an appeal made that day. It wasn't so much an audible appear. The Holy Spirit was touching hearts, the hearts of those that were listening and looking while Jesus was touching the hearts of the children. Nobody responded to that appeal right away. And Jesus finished blessing the children and he bid farewell to his little congregation. I wonder how the disciples were feeling afterwards after realizing what had just happened. Wow. You know, if we had gotten away with, the, with what we wanted to happen, we would not have seen what joy Jesus brought to those kids. We would not have seen the pride in the eyes of those mothers as they brought their children to the Master. Those kids would not have gotten so much attention. And they weren't ready for what was about to happen either. As they are leaving and the children are behind them and they're starting to walk away, there is a man that was in the crowd that runs to Jesus. And the Bible says in Mark 10, 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees, on his knees and, be, and, and, and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus got farther and farther away after he had blessed his children. And he was walking and walking. And this man could not resist the need to run to Jesus. He wanted to probably say something while Jesus was there with the children. But he didn't want to interrupt the whole thing. And he didn't want to make a big scene in front of everybody. And maybe he was too embarrassed to talk to Jesus right there. But he felt the Holy Spirit tugging at his heart. And little by little, Jesus was walking away. And he thought, I better do something quick. And when he realized that Jesus was getting too far, he had to run to reach Jesus. You know, how many times do we, in the moment, we feel the Holy Spirit tugging at our hearts? We feel the words of Jesus just, you know, hitting us exactly where we needed it to be hit. Saying the words that we exactly needed to hear. And then we have the voice of the Spirit telling us, you need to surrender your life to God right now. But we kind of say, well, we don't want to interrupt the service. I don't want to come up to, the, to an appeal. I don't want to make a big scene. And so I'll just wait until the service is over, and then I will just go and talk to Jesus. And many times we do that with the good intention of following up on our decision. But sometimes we let Jesus get too far. And sometimes we need to run to him. But many times we say, well, he's too far. I'll just wait until he comes back next week. This young man decided, I can either wait for him to come back to this town whenever he shows up again. Maybe he would never have come back. Or I can hurry up and talk to Jesus. And he decided to run to Jesus. He ran to him. He determined to go. Now, this passage does not say that this man was young. That is found in Matthew 19.22 on the parallel passage that says that this man was young. But if we did not have Matthew 19.22, how would we know that this person was young? The fact that he ran gives us a little hint that he was maybe not as mature and not as, you know, he didn't care so much about society and what the rules they had about certain things. And he decided that he would run to Jesus. 
Luke 18, 18 also tells us that this young man was a certain ruler. And a ruler was a person that had a position of prominence and that was a member of the honorable council of the Jews. So this was a person of great respect, great responsibility. He was well known in the community maybe. He had an important position in the council of the Jews. And the rich young ruler at this moment did not care about his position. He did not care about what he was. What he was thinking that he wanted to also be a disciple of Christ of, at that moment. His political position didn't matter to him at that moment. He was young and he was daring. How many young people just do things out of, you know, out of, uh, you know, they just do it, uh, shooting from the hip, as you say, you're just, you know, improvising or just being impulsive. And, you know, at the moment, hey, I just got to make this decision and go. There was a rule in those days that in those days you could not run in public. This is how it was written by one of the, uh, the rabbis that make uh, right uh, commentaries on the scriptures. And it says like this, A respectable person should never, with, should never walk with his head high so that he doesn't look arrogant. Have you ever seen anybody like that? You know, walking around... You're like, what's wrong with that person? He may, is he stuck up? He looks kind of arrogant. Maybe that's what they're thinking here. Neither should he swagger too much to not look effeminate. Hey, they even thought about those things back then. Neither to run in public. Ah, here it is. You don't run in public. Why? To avoid not looking like a serious person. If, if you ran, you'd look like you're not serious. So that was the rule of the day. You don't run in public because you look like you're silly. You look like you're immature. You don't look like a serious person. So avoid running. And also, do not contort his gestures so that he doesn't look upset. Better yet, how are they supposed to walk? Look down as if he were praying and walk with a decided step as if he were going to deal with an important matter. That was, the un, that was the rule that was written, but it was not in the Bible. It was just, you know, a commentary on how to behave. But this young man did not care. He threw away all the etiquette of the day, that which society had ordered of what was proper. He didn't care. He only knew that he needed to get to Jesus right away. He ran and he fell at his feet as a sign of reverence and of recognition that he is before somebody greater than he. I imagine, I imagine that his clothing gave him away. If he's a rich young ruler, he must have had expensive clothes on. And so his disciples probably thought that, hey, we would be blessed by having this guy join our team. And the disciples were probably thinking that. And then here are the words of the ruler. Good teacher. The young man ran. He bowed and addresses Jesus in a respectful manner. He says, good teacher. Well, compared to the other teachers, to the rest, Jesus was just so much better. Jesus had more integrity. He was more sincere. And he was deeper than the rest. Jesus was what he desired to have. To have moral fortitude. To have inner peace. And this young man was desirous to have these things. And yet he says, good teacher. 
What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the million dollar question. This is the question that everybody has probably asked themselves before this young man and after this young man. Then the question today to us is what must I do to inherit eternal life? If you do not ask yourself that question or if you have not asked yourself that question ever in your life, then today is your chance because the question is being presented not just through the scriptures for us to read, but as God's word directly to us to consider. What must I do to be saved? His question is interesting because he says, what must I do, which entails thinking that he has works that he can do to gain eternal life. What what do I have to do? Just tell me. It'll be easy. I have all the money you can think about. I just have to just, you know, snap my fingers and it is done. I have money. I have influence. I have political clout. Whatever you can think of, Jesus, just say the word and I can do it. But the other part of his question says to inherit eternal life. Who has to do something to inherit something? Can you do something to inherit something? Maybe you need to maybe manipulate your parents or, you know, kind of coerce them to make sure you give me little extra thousands or something. But the fact that you are a son or a daughter gives you the right, if your mother or father had the means to leave something behind, just the fact that you are a son or a daughter or a family member gives you that right. So he's saying, what do I have to do to get something that I know I don't get by doing anything? His, an inheritance given because that's because of the love of that person who leaves, it be, who leaves it behind. He knows that eternal life is a gift. But this intelligent young man, heir of a great fortune, which is the commentaries have said that, most likely he was an inheritor himself of a great fortune, and that's why he, wa- he was rich. Because somebody that young to be rich could only be because somebody left him riches. Nevertheless, he feels unsatisfied. How many of us have said, if only I had a million dollars, I would be happy. If only I had, I don't need a million, just give me half. Hey, I don't even need half, just give me a quarter of a million and I'll be happy. Hey, just give me $5,000 right now. And I can handle it. And I can pay off some debts. And I would be a lot happier. I would have a lot less stress right now. But he had it all. He had many possessions, but he was not happy. He wants to live in peace. His riches assure him this life, but they cannot guarantee him nothing in the life to come. And Jesus tells him, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And he gives him a two-part answer to his question. Keep the commandments. Honor your father and your mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not lie. Do not defraud. And so the young man is like, Teacher, you know, I've been a Christian all my life. I've been a good Jew all my life. I know these laws. I know exactly what you're talking about. I know what that means. I've done that all my life. Since I was a little kid, he was probably very disappointed at Jesus' answer. 
you know, do all these things? Well, that was part of the question that he asked. What do I do? Well, here's a list of doings. Are you doing those? Yes, I've been doing that all my life. But yet, I'm not happy. Only one thing. I've been doing this. There's a question for us. If we've been practicing religion all of our lives, if we've been practicing religion uh, maybe for a big part of our lives or for a long time now, since our childhood maybe, then why is there a persistent void in many of God's children? We seem to be okay what we have, with what we have been doing. But it's not only about doing or what we should stop doing. It's us allowing God to do in us. You see, it's not so much about what do I have to do, because we're so worried, we're so works-oriented, we're so uh, handyman type of people as, as human beings that we cannot accept gifts because we have to work for it. We think that we have to do something to earn it. And we are so preoccupied, and what do I have to do? What do I have to do? And God is saying, all you have to do is just stop doing and let me do in you. But that's the hard part. Because we're so busy. We're so you know, hyper sometimes. And we want to do a lot of things. We want to be busy for God. We want to be busy reading. We want to be busy praying. We want to be busy meditating. We want to be busy doing a lot of things for God or even not for God. And we think that by doing so many things that we have uh, a better standing with God. But God is saying, you need to slow down. You need to stop. And allow me to work in you. And we've been wrong for so long. We've heard it before. I don't harm anybody. I don't kill or steal. I'm a good citizen. I work. I don't bother anybody. I take care of my family. And the long list get longer and longer of how good we are. And if we're lacking in some area, we try harder to make sure that that list is complete. We believe that by doing a lot of good things... Good things will come back to us. But what God wants to give us is complete freedom by freeing us from the heavy burdens of uncertainty, of worries and anxieties and other problems that we may have. If we are honest with ourselves, we may not be totally satisfied with just doing things for God. People get burned out when they're just doing things for God. Isn't burned out a common word nowadays? Why can't you do this? Well, I'm burned out. Well, we need to stop sometimes. And if everybody stopped at the same time, we'd be in trouble at church because then we'd have nobody doing anything. But I'm not talking about that. We need to stop and let God work in us so that we can work in a more effective way. So if we're honest with ourselves, there is some in dissatisfaction with only doing things for God. What we really want is to know God. As we know God more and more by doing, our doing will become a joy. As we know God, He will tell us what we need to do. And the second answer that Jesus gives him, par- paraphrase is, to fill the void in your life, young man, you need to get rid of that which hinders you. Well, in exact words, Jesus says, you lack one thing. 
Jesus looked at him in verse 21, and the Bible says, and loved him. If you just to stop there and think about that, Jesus looked at him and loved him. What would you do to have a moment where Jesus looked at you, and you know that when he was looking at you, he was looking at you with eyes and a heart full of love? What would you give for that moment? That your rich young ruler had that moment where Jesus just looked at him. He probably didn't say anything for a couple of seconds and just looked at him. I, he had just said, look, I, had, I do all these things since I was a little kid. And Jesus just looked at him and loved him. And then after the rich young ruler could absorb that love, Jesus said these words, you only lack one thing. One thing. He was probably waiting to hear, you know, what he told the children. He was probably wanting to be one of those children, too, sitting on Jesus' lap. He probably wanted to hear those words that if you want to be, enter the kingdom, enter the kingdom, you need to be like one of these children. But that which he did not want to hear is that which he heard. One thing you lack, he said. One thing! It seems like I have a million things that I need to change. My heart is so devoid of, of compassion and love. And I can't, I don't feel happy. I don't feel satisfied. I have all these things. I'm important. I have money, but yet I don't feel happy. It may be simple to find peace, even though for us it seems very difficult. Because we also lack one thing. Jesus tells him, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. In this young man's case, this was his weakness. His possessions had him possessed. Deep inside, he wanted to totally serve God, but he had one thing that took away his peace and he could not... He couldn't handle it anymore. And this young man did have a thing to do to inherit eternal life. Yes, he had something to do. Jesus said, this is what you have to do. If you want to do something, here it is. Give away everything you have, all your inheritance that you inherited. Give it away. And if you get rid of your earthly inheritance, you will receive the heavenly inheritance. He had to do away with that which came between him and God. He didn't need new directives. What he needed was a new direction. And at this time, the Bible says these words. At this, in other words, as he heard this, this young man's face fell. In other words, he was probably waiting for this great answer. And then all of a sudden... I can't do that. He went away sad because he had great wealth, the Bible says. In spite of his great desire to follow Christ, his desire for wealth overcame him. This young man arrived at Jesus' feet perplexed about how to inherit eternal life. But now he leaves Jesus' presence in a state of gloominess. He had come worried and he had left in a worse state. He had received the answer that he had came looking for. But he didn't like the answer and so he left sadder than he had first arrived at Jesus' feet. 
This, is, this wasn't the master's fault. This wasn't Jesus giving him something too tough that he could not follow. Jesus gave him the solution to his problem. Jesus gave him the answer to his question. But the answer and the solution that he received did not go hand in hand with what he wanted to hear. And he did not like the solution. He did not like it. Jesus asked him to get rid of that which was his greatest hindrance. The young man felt safe in his riches. Jesus asked him to get rid of that which was his greatest hindrance. And if we ever ask God to take away our desire for that which hinders our relationship with him and give us the answer to eternal life, he may not tell us what we want to hear. He may actually tell us something that we're going to actually say, I matter, I'm not even going to ask anymore. I'm not even going to pray anymore because I know what the answer is, but I'm not willing to give it up. I'm not willing to let go. I know what God is. It doesn't take much to realize what is it that God wants us to get rid of. You think that rich young ruler did not really know that his riches were a problem? He had an inkling, I imagine. He knew something that his wealth and his money and his riches had something to do with his insatisfaction. So, deep down inside, brothers and sisters, I think we do know that which hinders us. I think we do know that which is blocking us from having a satisfactory, uh, healthy, happy walk with Jesus. But we come running to Jesus hoping that he'll tell us something else. Hoping that he'll give us a way around dealing with the core issue. Jesus, when we we pray to God asking him to take this away or to help us, or what must I do to be totally happy, God will go to the core of our souls and touch that cord... And it is a core that nobody has probably touched before and maybe nobody even knows about. And when Jesus goes into that drawer in the cabinet of your heart, we shut it right away because we really don't want Jesus in that cabinet. Or we don't really believe that God can heal that cabinet in our lives. So we get thinking that that's the one area that I need to fix by myself. But that's the greatest mistake that we will ever make, brothers and sisters. To think, God can fix everything, but this one thing, I need to fix this one myself. Because I don't want to do it the way I know God wants to do it. I just want to work around it and see if I can get away with it. Or get out of it some other way. But that would be the biggest mistake. Because it is only God who can fix our greatest problem, who can give us the answer to our greatest question, to give us the solution to our greatest need. Jesus did not want this man's financial ruin, but he offered him the best deal ever. He would get another kind of wealth in exchange. Instead of leaving his mansion behind and following Jesus, he went to his mansion walking sad and alone. Maybe he was powerful, 
but he wasn't free. He was rich, but that which he needed the most, he could not buy. So how would you consider yourself today? We have come running to Jesus by coming to church today. And Jesus today wants to say, hey, you know, you've been here every week. And uh, you really leave the same way you come. I think it's time that we get down to the nitty gritty. And I want to tell you today that there's one thing that you lack. There's one thing that I lack. That one thing only you know. I don't know what your one thing is, but God knows what it is. And I believe that you know what it is too. If we really think about it and pray and just realize, because we know our own hearts most of the time, but if there may be a chance that you may not really know what is wrong, then we need to ask God to help us. So the rich young man, he was rich, but he could not buy what he needed. Thus, he showed his true poverty. It could be material possessions for us that occupy so much of our time. It could be an emotional possession where Jesus tells us how to overcome, but we prefer to stay in the same emotional state or in the same emotional pain. There could be spiritual possessions where Jesus tells us how to be connected with God and not only to doctrines, not only to traditions or what we think is the best way to connect with God. It could be immoral possessions where Jesus tells us that we should flee all sexual immorality, but we prefer to continue because it feels good. How will you leave Jesus' presence today? We can leave like the rich young ruler. We can leave afflicted, sad, because we cannot leave something behind. Or we will leave joyful, Because we have realized that too many times we have left sad. We have left Jesus' presence sad. And almost worse than before. Because we persist in hanging on to that one thing that prevents us from having a real relationship with God. So Jesus' words are for us today too. You know what that one thing is. Jesus invites us to leave it behind and follow him.